Well, this morning as we turn to God's Word, I want to invite you to be turning to Proverbs chapter 1. That's where we're going to be looking to kind of start our, our time today. But I want to let you guys know something. This is Wilbur, and he is a worship leader here at First Baptist New Orleans and leads us in worship. And I want to let you know something exciting for Wilbur and for the country of France, but sad for First Baptist New Orleans. And that is that God has opened a door for him to go as an artist. He has received an artist visa, which is not easy to get, to be able to go and to live in France. And so today may or may not be his last Sunday, but we're going to go ahead and treat it like it is so that you can express your gratitude to Wilbur. Um, and brother, we are so excited for this door that God has opened for you to be able to pursue something that you have really longed for for a while, um, been very open to, and you just trusted that this was a Gideon moment, you said, where you just said, God, if this is your will, then just open that door. And God has flung that door wide open. And so we are going to be in prayer for you. And I want to, will you join me in praying over Wilbur right now as he makes this transition to live in France? God, we thank you for our brother, Lord, he has been a worship leader for our congregation. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have gifted him in such incredible ways, Father, in so many ways, but Lord, as a worship leader. So we pray now that as he goes, he would go as your ambassador. Um, Lord, we pray that you would use him to influence the, 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 the artist community in Paris, Father, for your glory, that he would go as an ambassador of Christ, Lord, that you would protect our brother, that you would prosper him while he's there. And Father, that this would be a time of his faith going even deeper and of him making disciples in that country. So bless our brother. Thank you, Father, for his influence in our lives. And I thank you for his friendship in mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you, brother. So grateful for our brother um, and for the others that are up here, Chad and Kirk and Miss Vicky and the others that are here, and um, and Quint. Uh, Quint led our students in worship um, a couple of summers ago when we went to Missouri at Missouri Baptist University with Center Fuge um, or Mission Fuge, I think is what it was. Um, Quint was leading us. He's a graduate of Loyola. He's a New Orleans boy. His dad is a pastor um, that I deeply respect, Jay Atkins, over at First Baptist West Wego. And so, brother, thank you for leading us in worship this morning as well. Well, this morning, as we turn back to Proverbs, this will be our last sermon in the book of Proverbs. Um, next week, you will not want to miss because um, Pastor Chip Luter, Fred Luter's son, Chip off the old block, as they call him, is going to be here at First Baptist New Orleans bringing God's word from the Psalm, Psalm 27. So be reading ahead, getting excited to worship the Lord um, as Chip comes and preaches God's word. So excited to have him coming. I only hate that I won't be here to hear him from the front row. Um, but as we continue through just looking at the Proverbs and at the Psalms and how God meets us right in the middle of where we are, I really felt it on my, heavy on my heart this week that our mindset as we think about the Proverbs needs to be a mindset that realizes that our kids are at stake. That, that that's what's at stake of whether you and I in this room live as men and women of wisdom or if we choose not to and we live foolishly that our children, the sons and daughters of this church, they are watching you and me. And in this room are many of those children. And you may say, well, not my kids. My grands live somewhere else. Uh, my biological kids have moved off or, or, or something like that. I would encourage you to, to change your mindset that the children you look around in this room and you see and the children that are in our preschool and our worship care right now, those are your kids. When I was working as a counselor, 
my very first summer after my freshman year of college, I worked at a camp called Sky Ranch. And it was a camp, it was a horse camp, and you work with kids and all that. And so I was hoping that I would get some of the older kids because they were so much more cool and, and got to do a lot more things than the younger kids. But when it really came down to it, you didn't get to choose. You just got to state what you hoped. And so I, I wanted the older kids, but they said, Chad, you're in charge of the five-year-olds and six-year-olds. I was like, oh man, I've made a poor decision about how to spend my summer. And so I had really five to eight-year-old boys that were in my cabin with three other counselors, and we were responsible for their care for six straight days, day and night. And it was one of the most taxing, difficult things I've ever done in my life. But I reached a point about halfway through the summer where I realized that the problem had been on that first half of the summer, me. It, it had been me. I had been the problem. I had not been looking at my, at, my, at my campers in the right way. I had been looking at them like bothersome kids. I was bothered by the things they did. I was bothered by the way they would not clean up after themselves. I was bothered by the fact that they would pee on the floor and do other things like that. I was like, what is going on? What is wrong with these kids? But I called home and spoke to my mom and dad at one point, and they helped, gain, helped give me perspective when I spoke to them of, well, that reminds me how it was when you were with your brother when he was younger. You were so annoyed by him and it rushed back on me that there was a moment when I came home as about a 12 or a 13 year old and I was talking to my mom about my brother Blake and she said, Chad, you wanna know what Blake told me today? And I said, what? And he said, mom, why does Chad hate me? He said, well, Chad, you're a jerk. Apparently I had been because those words never came out of my mouth. I never said, Blake, I hate you. The way that I was treating him, the way I was ignoring him, the way I was you know, just so annoyed and just get away from me, you mess up everything. It was communicating a message of hate. My life was influencing him. And God humbled me to the core that day. And I began to see that I had a gift of an eight years younger than me little brother that I could either love or keep acting like I hated. And so I chose the path of love, to love my brother, and I still cherish my friendship with him to this day. And that summer, all of that rushed back in in that moment. As my mom said, it sounds like your relationship with your little brother, that all of a sudden I began to see these children as little brothers, as is someone that I cared about, to choose to care, to choose to love, to want the best for them, to protect them, to raise them up, to speak words of encouragement to them. And can I tell you, the back half of my summer was incredible in comparison to the first half. Is everything easy? No. Did the kids all of a sudden start doing everything I wanted? No. But I was different because my perspective on those kids had changed. Brothers and sisters, you and I need a perspective change on the way that we view children and students. All of our students right now, you'll notice that the area where they typically sit right here, they're at a fall retreat right now. And so now is a fitting time for us to talk about how are we influencing our teenagers? How are we investing in our teenagers? 
The reality for us is that some of us are not thinking about whether we are influencing our kids and our teenagers, but I just want to caution you. I didn't think I was influencing my brother. And so is it any wonder then that four out of five of our teenagers, when they get to college, they walk away from the church because maybe passively we've communicated a message about whether they belong here or not. Maybe we haven't taken an active enough approach in saying, you are the future of this church. We thank God for you. We love you. We're proud of you. We, we want to walk with you in life. We want to go to your games. We want to celebrate your achievements. We want to be there to listen when you go through that first heartbreak. We want to be those that help introduce you to things and introduce you to people and develop a network because the number one predictor of whether those students are going to walk away from the faith in a couple of years is whether they have a relationship with you and whether they have a relationship with me. We carry this together. And Proverbs brings us into what it means to live a life that is going to rightly influence them and rightly influence the children in this room because we are influencing them. Wake up. You are influencing them. Wake up. You are influencing them but you are either influencing them that they matter and that they have a future here and it's important or that you can't wait for that moment when they're no longer bothering us. It's maybe a message that we need to hear of wisdom. You see, Proverbs are so important and have been so important and will remain so important to the church of Jesus Christ because they give us wisdom on living rightly. You see, what I've just communicated to you is not something that Chad just came up with, is I am cycling through the Proverbs with you. And so many of you have taken this to heart and have been texting and emailing saying, I read this in the Proverbs and it spoke exactly into a situation that I'm facing or it encouraged me and my soul today to keep going and all of these different things keep going because it's shaping who we are. Because wisdom, wisdom is what is needed in our lives. And so I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word from Proverbs chapter 1. And I want to read what is the point of the book of Proverbs? What, what is the purpose of this book that we look at and we consider today? Well, the writer establishes it firmly from the very beginning. And he says this in verse 2 For learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase in learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance for understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. We pray with me? Father, I thank you for the book of Proverbs. And I thank you for how it calls us, it ushers us in to think about our children, to think about our students, these young men and women that will soon walk into a life of independence to consider carefully how are we influencing their lives? Because we are. The question remains, is it a wise influence? 
Is it a godly influence? Is it an influence that is ultimately bringing them to Christ? And so in every way that we can as a church pursue influencing and pouring our lives into them, God, would you show us today from your word how we can pursue it all the more. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? You know, wisdom put, put forward on this page is talking about receiving instruction and in righteousness and for justice and integrity, for shrewdness, for the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion. And it seems like it's all of these things kind of swirling together. But I love how one scholar put it, Tremper Longman III, an Old Testament scholar, he defines wisdom this way. Wisdom is the skill of living. Wisdom is the skill of living. You see, we're all living, right? But how many of us are doing it with skill? How many of us are doing it with an exactness that we would say the things in my life are intentional? They're, they're fit together in an intentional way. I'm making the most of the time. I'm making the most of this brief thing called life. Or would you look at your life and say it's, it's lacking wisdom? I feel like I'm squandering it. I feel like it's, it's misguided. It's all over the place. It's chaos. Then I invite you into the book of Proverbs. God invites you into his word in Proverbs to gain skill of living. Tripper Longman goes on to say this, it's a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. Wisdom also includes the ability to interpret other people's speech and writing in order to react correctly to what they are saying to us. Wisdom is not intelligence, pure and simple. It does not necessarily exclude intelligence, praise the Lord, but that is not the focus. Proverbs itself attributes wisdom to a series of animals, not because they have great intelligence, but because they know how to navigate life well. He talks about the ant. Consider the lesson of the ant, how it gathers its food during times before famine, before the winter months, and learn and be wise. Now, a few cautions to keep in mind as you look at the Proverbs and as you begin to orient your life. And again, unapologetically, I encourage you to increase your intake of the word that Proverbs can become a steady part of your diet at all seasons of life on a regular basis. Our intake of Facebook, our intake of Netflix, our intake of all manner of entertainment is at an all-time high. So as a pastor, I have a responsibility both to myself, to lead myself well, and then to lead the congregation, the flock that God has entrusted to my care, to say, increase your intake of the word because it's influencing you. What you're watching, what you're listening to, how you're being entertained is shaping your life. And so I beg you, I plead with you, increase your intake of the word of God. But as we'll see, there's a few cautions to keep in mind as we come to the Proverbs. Because if we come to them in a wooden, like, you know, very rigid way, we will look at them and say every one of them is to be read just at face value as a promise. That if I'll do this, then this always happens. But Tremper Longman again cautions us and he says this, Proverbs are not universally valid. 
In other words, they, they don't always work the way that you think they're going to work in specific situations and at specific times. Their validity depends on the right time and the right circumstance. The Proverbs themselves even acknowledge this tension. We're, we're cautioned in one verse to not respond to a fool according to his folly. And then the very next verse, we're, we're told to respond to a fool lest he think he is wise. Well, well, which is it? Well, the answer depends. And right, isn't there wisdom in that? I mean, think about it in your own business dealings, in your own professional life, you that are adults that are working in this room. Does every situation with every employee, every coworker always merit the exact same response? Or does it depend? Does it depend on what's going on in that kid's life if you're a teacher? That if you know the background and you know the chaos at home, that you might do something a little bit different. You might push a little bit more differently than the kid that you know is really just not exerting himself, is really just trying to get a laugh. It's going to depend, right? It's going to depend on whether you know a coworker is going through something, their marriage is failing, and they missed a deadline. It's going to depend how you deal with them in that moment than you do with the person that's just getting sloppy. It's going to depend. And that's what the Proverbs point us to over and over again. We have to have wisdom to discern the circumstances and the timing, to know when to speak and when not to speak. But the next caution that is given in the proverb from Chimper Longman is this, wisdom then is not a matter of memorizing Proverbs and applying them mechanically and absolutely. Wisdom is knowing the right time and the right circumstance to apply the right principle to the right person. In other words, this influence that works on us as we read the scriptures is not just to be a memorization game because some of us are good at memorization and then some of us aren't. And so does that mean that those are good, that memorization will be wise and those that aren't will be foolish? No, the influence it's like sitting down with someone and listening to them. You know, I, I tell folks that I have welcomed the influence of one of our brothers, Jack Hunter. And I know, you're, I know you hate to get called out, but his influence in the New Orleans Baptist Association has been one of those influences for so many of us as pastors that has been needed and deeply appreciated as we have considered the work of God in the kingdom of Christ in New Orleans in facets and in ways that we've never looked. It's like looking at a diamond. You, when you look at it, you behold it from one side, but it's only as you begin to rotate it or begin to walk around it that then you see the other facets and the other dimensions of that reality. And who of us can claim to have, beh to have beheld all that is Christ? We know everything there is of his kingdom. We see it all perfectly. We've got the market on that. You know, it's when brothers like Jack help us to behold Christ in his beauty, when they helps us to see Christ in his kingdom in new and fresh ways that you see the richness and the mercy of Jesus Christ at work in ways that I was previously blind to. That's the beauty of being able to have influence in your life. And that's what the Proverbs do as they influence you. As you read them chapter by chapter, verse by verse, they influence you. They begin to shape your way of thinking and to help you to see and perceive things that you are formerly not perceiving. So what do we do with this? 
Well, I want to give you a couple of questions to maybe stop asking and some questions to start asking that I think will begin to rightly orient us as we as a church pursue being people of wisdom who take, who take seriously influencing the lives of our children and our teenagers. So I want to encourage you, don't ask this, do I want to influence preschoolers, children, and teenagers? Do I want to? Instead, ask this, how am I currently influencing preschoolers, children, and teenagers? How am I doing that? And if you say, I'm not doing it at all, that's your influence. You're, you're essentially saying, I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And that communicates a message to them. Now, does that mean that we all have to be preschool teachers? That we all have to be children's Sunday school teachers? That we all have to work in the youth program? No. In fact, we're trying to create part of our life together strategy is to open up the door so that if you love a specific craft, you know, I've used Bill Nix in the example of his love for, for mechanics, to be able to come in and to expose a child to the world of mechanics, even if Bill himself is not wanting to be a a, a children's Sunday school teacher, he's able to take a passion and to bring it down to a kid's level and begin to enter into a relationship with them and influence them and to open their eyes. And who knows, they may discover something that turns into a life of engineering or, or, or to a life of, of being a mechanic. We, we don't know how God will piece those things together, but that's how it often works in relationships when we have those sort of portals for interaction. So don't ask, do I want to? Ask, how am I? Because you are currently influencing kids. At this point, I want to demonstrate what it can look like sometimes to take something simple, something that kids are familiar with, and to use it to illustrate things that come from the Proverbs. So kids, if you're, um, what grade should I do? Fourth grade and down? Fourth graders and younger. If you guys want to come join me down here, we're going to do a little object lesson for the adults today. All right, come on, guys. Yeah, give them a hand. Thank them for being in here. What's up? Y'all come sit around me. All right. I like that thing. That's awesome. So these are some of our kids. These are some of our younger guys. What, what grades do we have represented up here? What grade are you guys in? Six. Sixth grade. And we Third got grade. first grade, Third grade. Third grade. He's not sixth grade yet. In first grade, what grade? Fourth grade, what do we got over here? I'm in, I'm in second grade. In second grade, that's so great. So we've got all of these guys down here. Now let me ask you guys a question. Have any of you guys ever built a fire with an adult? I'm gonna caveat that, with an adult. Have you ever built a fire with an adult? Yeah, yeah? What, what were you doing? Were you camping? Anybody going camping? Yeah? No? no? Now, how many of you guys have ever like roasted marshmallows over a fire before? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, what are those called? S'mores. S'mores, yeah, they're so good. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this. So if you build a fire and you stop putting wood on it, what happens to the fire? It goes out. It just goes out, right? Why does it go out? There's not much wood. There's nothing for it to burn, right? So it just, it just goes out. Well, guess what the Bible teaches? Hey, welcome. It's so great to see you. Um, come on up. Yep. There you go. All right. You want to sit right here um, on the step by me? You're doing great. A late arrival. Hey, sweetheart. Um, so sweet. Um, 
this is what the proverb says. It says, without wood, a fire goes out. You guys just said that. Without wood, a fire goes out. But listen to this. This is what it's teaching us. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. Do y'all know what gossip is? What's gossip? So what else is gossip? Does anybody know what gossip is? Gossip is when I tell, let's say that um, Brogan did something that was maybe a little embarrassing. And so then rather than like just keeping that to myself, guess what I do? I went and told David. I was like, David, did you hear about Brogan? He messed up bad. Yeah. And then David, so now David, what are you going to do with that? Go tell everyone else. You're going to go tell everybody else. That's right. At least he's honest. Um, And that's how gossip works, right? Well, guess what? When you tell somebody, it's like putting wood on a fire and it burns and it burns and it burns. But guess what? When Brogan told me that thing that was kind of embarrassing and then he was like, man, I messed up. You know what I should have done? I should have kept it to myself. That's what it's like. If my donkey is the rainbow, I, to see. I love it. It's beautiful. It has all the wood toes All right, let's see. Yeah, but I'm going to get you to, you want to sit right here. I'm going to get one more thing, okay? So how many of you guys know? Oh, I love that. It's a unicorn whale. I love it. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, does everybody know what this is? Toothpaste mint. Okay, we got specific. So this is toothpaste, okay? So here's what I want you guys to see. All right, sweetheart. Um, The one, so this is what we're going to teach real fast. Here, let's see. Here, you want to sit right beside me? I need help right here. You want to come see? What? I love it. Another one. Whee! Here, you want to sit right here beside me? Yes. Thank you so much. So... How many of you guys know what this part is called? The cap. The cap. Okay, right. All right. So if the cap is closed, what happens? Nothing. Can I, if I squeeze it, does anything come out? Yeah. I like that unicorn. Thank you for showing me. Now, if I open the cap, what happens? And I squeezed it. Stuff's going to come out, right? Okay. Well, let me, let me just try it. So I'm going to try it close. So I'm closing the cap and I'm going to squeeze it. Nothing's happening. But if I open the cap, what's going to happen? Oh, no. Okay. Well, I didn't mean it. Now, now let me ask you a question. I love it. It's so cute. So how easy is it for us to get this toothpaste back in the bottle? Oh, no. It is not. I love that. You got. I know. Look at that. This is not going back in. Well, guys, guess what the Proverbs teach? The one who guards his mouth or closes his mouth like this and keeps his tongue from evil, keeps himself out of trouble. Ooh, because guess what, guys? If you open your mouth and you squirt words out, can you get those words back? Nope. So sometimes it's better if we learn to keep our mouth closed. You can say them more, yeah. So that's something that next time when you're brushing your teeth, guys, remember, it's important for us to remember to sometimes close the lid, okay? That's really important. All right, thank you guys for your help. Y'all can go back to your seats. Yeah, buddy. Here, after the service, you want to tell me? 
Oh, yeah. We need to put them all back in their cage. In their carrier. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you for sharing everything. Oh, and good big brother right there coming to the rescue. So sweet. So yesterday, because I've been reading through the Proverbs, pulled up to uh, a stop sign, getting off of I-10 over Vets Highway, and there was a man in a wheelchair right beside us. And so I don't often keep, keep cash as much. I know that's like a millennial thing, you know, but like, you know, I don't often have a lot of cash, but I was like, I've got a few dollars. And so I remembered in the Proverbs yesterday that I was reading through and it said, you know, he who is generous to the poor makes a loan to the Lord. And it was just this idea that when, when, when we demonstrate kindness to the poor, we are, we are demonstrating a, a kindness and a love to God, acknowledging this one was created in your image and is worthy of your care. And so in that moment, I've got my kids in the car with me. So I roll down the window, I give that, and then I roll the window up. I mean, I say, God bless you, you know, and it's time to go. There's only a moment of interaction. But then as we go, I then open up my mouth and begin to share what God's word says, that, that he who's generous to the, to the poor makes a loan to the Lord. And we began to talk, you know, like, guys, do you think God pays back? You know, if he borrows anything, do you think he pays back? Yes. You know, like, yes. God looks at those actions and he says, that is good, that, that when we care for one another. Now, listen, I know that I'm inviting a beating by giving that specific example because it's like, well, should you always give money or should you not? It depends on the situation. That's wisdom. That's it. Like, not every time that I see someone in New Orleans, because we see someone every day, every time you exit. Is it always the right thing? Maybe not. Maybe wisdom is in moments you having the discernment because you've been in the word and for God to recall something because you've been putting it in. He can bring it to mind. It's hard to recall something that you never called. And so you recall in that moment something that God put in there and in that moment, that's the wise thing to do. Brothers and sisters, we need to do that. We need to seize opportunities. We need to welcome the children into this room and into this place to influence their lives for God's glory. Second, don't ask, is it wrong? Boy, that question has gotten so many people in trouble. But ask this, is it right? You know, the excuse when I was a kid, you didn't say not to. That one never worked. He didn't say not to write on the wall. He, he didn't say not to do the, you know, whatever the, the silly thing is I'd done. That doesn't work. You see, Proverbs 20, 11 says, even a young man is known by his actions, whether his behavior is pure and upright. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in its end, it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. This is the importance of deep Christian friendships. Did you know that's one of the things that I hope that my kids will look at my life that I need to cultivate more and more is deep Christian friendships. I, I, there's not a man or woman in this room that does not really want deep Christian friendships. You wouldn't be here otherwise. That, that you're wanting those sort of relationships, but consider this as you think about the nature of friendship and how God has ordained it. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend that stays closer than a brother. Proverbs 13, 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise. There's that influence again, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Who are your friends? 
In Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. We all need deep Christian friendships. I love the, the image that I just heard about for some of our high school and, and middle school students that are going to Lusher. Every Friday morning, Slade and Elizabeth Simons have opened their home so that all of our Lusher kids can meet and do Bible study. You wanna know what they're doing? Our Bible reading plan. They're just, they're getting together and they're talking about what they've been reading as we're all reading together. Did you know that can be a way right now that you can engage with students? You could say, so tell me what you've been reading. Tell, tell, you know, have you been doing the, the reading plan? And that encourages them to do it. So then they have something to be able to converse with you about. But I love that our kids who are going into settings where often their faith is tested, where, where they're being introduced to worldviews that, that don't fit within a Christian worldview, that they have Christian community and they have friendship. But are we modeling what that looks like? Are they understand, is their understanding of deep Christian community a, hey, good morning, good to see you, how was your week? Good. And that's it. That's not a deep Christian community. That's not a friend that loves at all times. That's not walking with the wise. That's not having a friend that stays closer than a brother. Brothers and sisters, this is something we have to pursue. We must pursue, but not just for an end in itself, but that our children and our teens can have a model of what it means to have deep Christian community. I love, I, I heard about two brothers in our church, Ben McLeish and John Palmer, and how each day while they're reading through the Proverbs, they're texting each other to encourage each other about what they're reading and what they're observing in the passage. You see, that is a pursuit of deep Christian community. That's what it can look like. It's just a text today to say, hey, you know, like, here's what I saw. Here's what I read. Hey, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? That is developing that sort of Christian community that we need. So where can you find that? Because you're all facing me right now in our Bible study groups. That, that's where those relationships are intended to develop. That's where you can swap numbers and encourage each other throughout the week. That's where you can say, hey, do you play golf? Hey, do you play cribbage, you know, like what, or whatever the card game, bridge, you know, like whatever. I'm obviously I'm not a card player, you know, so, you know, but find those things that you might can do together all the while doing it in Christian community, encouraging one another all the day, all the, all the more as the, as, as, as the days are short. Finally, don't ask, what do I need to teach them? But ask this, what does the word teach us? Take a posture of humility when it comes to the word. I mean, for, for all of us in this room, those that have been walking with the Lord for, for 30, 40, 50 years, if you model a posture of humility, guys, what does the word of God teach us? Rather than just saying, what does the word of God teach you? But if you will model a posture of humility that you are still a learner, that is what often sets apart the greatest influencers and leaders is they are lifelong learners. They remain humble, there, there's been that, that study done by Jim Collins that identifies what is that, that fifth attribute that sets apart the greatest leaders, and it's this, humility. And there is a humility that comes from saying that I still need the instruction of the Lord, which leads us right back to where we started, to verse 7 of chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. You see, 
Psalms teaches us additional truths that we need to hold at this point. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is this starting block from which we live a life, a life of skill, a life lived well, that begins with this acknowledgement that there is a God. But it doesn't stop there. We are not just simply theists. We don't just believe that there is a God. We're not deists. We don't believe that he created everything and then just stepped away from it. We are Christians. We believe that God created, but we rebelled. We believe that then God as redeemer sent his one and only son to come into this world who was wisdom revealed. That every action Christ took was wise. That every word that he spoke was wise. Every time he withheld speaking, that was wise. And every time he confronted sin, it was done in wisdom. That everything about his life was wisdom, including his death on a cross. But world philosophies reject that. They say that's foolishness. Other religions reject this idea that we worship one who is dead and buried and resurrected, but that was the wisdom of God. That's how God in his own wisdom chose to save. That was how God in his wisdom would would reveal to all of us what humility is and why it is at the core of what we must be. That's one of our core values. We must be father glorifying and how? By being humble. And so the question comes to each one of us yet again, Will I humble myself before the Lord? Will I bow my heart in submission to him? Will I say like Christ, not my will, but yours be done? And for the one in this room who has been walking in pride all the days of your life, will you today humble yourself before the living God and before his son and make that confession that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray that in this moment, that if there be anyone in this room who has never bowed their knee to Christ, who has never confessed to him that they are a sinner in need of his forgiveness, who has never believe truly that the only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ that today would be the day of their salvation if that's you in this moment just in the stillness of this moment would you lift your hand I just want to pray over you if that's where you are you're needing in this moment to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time I want you to just lift your hand where you are For the rest of us in this room, what that means is we must train ourselves to kneel on a regular basis before the Lord in submission to his word. If we don't, if we don't, we will run a life. We will run a race. We will live a life that we will get to the end of and regret because it was not lived in wisdom. Wisdom ultimately orients us back to Jesus Christ every time. Every word of Proverbs ultimately points us to the wisdom of Jesus Christ.
And it is Jesus that we worship together in this moment. I want to invite everyone in this room to stand. I'll be standing right to the side here. Pastor Corey will be standing here. If you need prayer because you are facing a decision and you need wisdom, then I invite you to come and just say, would you pray for me in this decision that I'm facing so that in all things we are trusting Christ together. But let us sing a song of response, a song of worship to this great God of wisdom who has loved us through his son.